I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It is time for the Writer's Routine podcast. So it's a good job then that I've brought along my funky French coffee shop jazz. Yes, welcome along to the Writer's Routine podcast. Uh, My name's Dan Simpson. Now, this is the show where we discover the daily ritual of a creative person and we explore how they get maximum efficiency from their imagination and their innovation. Because we all think we've got a book in us, but how do you actually get it out? In fact, only on the way here earlier today, I thought of a brand new book about a wizard who travelled for miles searching for a ring only to find a submissive girl in bondage who faked her own kidnapping to get back at her husband, which I saw from a train while I was drunk, by the way. Also, on the journey, I discovered the meaning of life is 42. Anyway, they say that everyone's got a book in them, but what gives the people who have actually written one down and got it published the dedication, persistence and motivation to get it done? Have you ever tried? It's a slog. So I'm thinking maybe finding out the routine of writers who have succeeded could help us out a little bit. And we've got a good one today. She really bought into the spirit of the thing. And she's just finished the third book in a series which is a little bit too close to reality. I want to say a huge thank you if you've been onto iTunes and left the show a review. Because the only day we're going to get more of your favourite authors on the show is by growing the podcast. So do me a favour, if you're enjoying the writer's routine, uh, get your phone out right now, open up the iTunes podcast store and and write a few nice words. Leave us some stars too, five would be helpful. And then we can try and make this show something really big. So our guest on the writer's routine today is Angela Clark. She's a playwright, a columnist, a screenwriter, a Sunday Times best-selling author as well. Now, her newest book, Trust Me, has just been released. It's the third in her social media murders series. It's a gripping, fast-paced crime novel that has its roots firmly set in real life. And it's one of those rare stories that manage to take things that you know, like stuff that you do, technology that you use every day, and actually make a book around them that's relatable. You know, it's not twee and cheesy either. Now, we'll find out what inspired Angela's stories in just a sec. We'll also hear about her frankly ridiculous way of keeping up to date with all the books that she wants to read every day and we've also got another distinguished diary on the way in a little bit our weird and wonderful writer's routine from history today is all about one of the most erratic psychological thriller authors ever 
First, let's get into my chat with crime writer Angela Clark, right, and find out her writer's routine, because she does a lot. She writes, she tells stories, screenplays, articles, books, she's on the radio, and I wanted to know if that was really just because she's got a lot to say. I think I am actually um, uh, very opinionated and uh, I like telling stories. As you say, it is storytelling, all of it. It's just different ways of telling stories. Like a lot of people come to writing through um, a real kind of love of the art, of the words, and they're incredibly strong on kind of punctuation and grammar and they went to super lovely um, academic, big uh, posh universities. And um, I didn't do that. I came for it from telling lies, probably. I I love, um, I've always loved kind of telling stories and, and, just you know embellishing everyday stuff gossip uh you know it's the way i remember stuff it's the way i make my friends laugh um yeah it's what i've always done so it just lends itself across mediums i guess that sounds really terrible wasn't it i'm gonna not say a swear word then sorry (laughs) can i swear (laughs) no i mean i would probably veer away from swearing no no swearing no swearing (laughs) you know we we can play around with it i i'm I'm trusting your (laughs) linguistic abilities as a creative writer to kind of get around it okay Uh, quickly on embellishing lies do you remember figuring out you were doing that when you were young for instance when i was a child i was thinking about this the other day i used to lie all the time yeah (laughs) no not big lies not like you, you know stuff that would get Terrible. loads of people in trouble no 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 but no little no. white lies yeah but we all do that don't we i, I read this article that said that um uh, on average the uh, in one 10 minute conversation uh, people lie three times sorry like they make three mini lies in that one 10 minute conversation but then i read another one that said that every uh, adults don't lie um more than 1.6 times per week and i was like well that's a lie in itself that's just really silly it doesn't you're make lying as the writer of this exactly. article <laughs> the people you interview were lying to you, you know. <laughs> so I tend to write in my study. I have a degenerative connective tissue disorder, which means that um, though obviously I can take my laptop and write elsewhere, it's better for me to be um, in my own study where I have a properly supported chair. My physio has signed off on all of my kind of desk situation and things like that. So I generally tend to be there. In front of me is a massive pin board, one of those um, school size ones on their side, which I have. Um, everything pinned to so kind of inspirational quotes uh photos of my family photos of the uh, of the books that I've already uh published and um a lot of kind of things relating to the projects that I'm working on whether it's kind of plot lines or or kind of sometimes I do card like they do for um uh for card, like kind of card scenes that take place in a book like they do for kind of screenwriting so there's often that in front of me so tell me more about the pinboard very quickly mm-hmm. um how often do you change things around on there? Is is it book specific or is it more long term with the project side of it? The bottom half of it is split into two um, kind of... Uh scene breakdown scenes for for per project so depending on which project I'm working on at a time and often I've got more than one on the go um I have kind of scenes laid out on that that stays like that all the time um I just swap out the different projects that are on it then above it uh, kind of like the top layer that's closest to the ceiling tends to stay as is that tends to be my photos and my kind of um key quotes that uh, keep me going and and stuff like that how much do you have to depend on your ability to storyboard when you're working on something that is so plot driven 
as a crime novel? Well, I find it very helpful, but I do know other crime writers that kind of pants. They write by the seat of their pants. Their pants is instead of plotters. I am a plotter. I tend to come up with six kind of key points in my story that I know are going to happen um, and plot them out. And then I write and fill in the gaps. What does happen, though, is it, it does throw up kind of things where it changes direction because those six kind of key points are based on things that I would do in that situation. And obviously that's different from what my characters would do. And when we get there with my characters, they sometimes go in different directions and take me in unexpected kind of ways. But largely I tend to have a kind of the skeleton of what's going to happen. I know the plot, so then it's just the characters that change it. You say that you've got in mind what you... Uh as Angela Clark would do in this situation yeah when do you discover what your characters are going to do when I get there basically um in the second book in the series um watch me I didn't realize who um the murderer was until I got into the room I thought it was somebody else and then when my character got into the room so really quite far you know almost the very end of the book um it was somebody else completely and I was like oh my god I didn't know that I didn't know that that was going to happen so um even though I had it kind of plotted and I thought I knew what was going on. Um, Things do kind of come from nowhere. I feel like this chat's going to be so labyrinthine because everything you're saying to me is kind of firing off different things in That's my brain. That's kind of how I work. I'm terrible. I go in loads of different directions. I think I'm... we can call that scatty. Uh, yeah, let's go with scatty. But I'm I think really that's scatty. fine. Do you know what I do, which I think really um, kind of demonstrates like kind of how scatty and how quickly my brain um, works? I listen to Audible a lot. I love listening to spoken word and I get through about two to three books a week because I listen to them sped up at three times the speed. And um, it sounds really really crazy if you listen to it out loud but if you put it on headphones you lock into it and you block out everything else so it's really good if you're doing something mundane like unloading the dishwasher or going for a run or whatever but when I play it out loud loads of my friends have said and my partner has said this is how I imagine the inside of your brain sounds like sort of very high pitched and kind of like yeah that's basically it so I I think it's kind of like a crazy scattiness that goes really quickly in, in lots of different directions but then kind of I don't know it works for me this is Simon Toyne's um, Solomon Creed's. This is at three times the speed. Cain flared his arm when he read the name, and again he felt like he experienced back on the road. A feeling of duty towards this man he couldn't remember, but who apparently knew him well enough to have him in this book. You have any idea how he might know Jim? Morgan asked. Jim, not James. Morgan knew him. He was here. I could hear every word. I mean, it's harder if you don't have it in, in like plugged into your ears in, in earplugs, but I can hear every single word of that. And it's fine. Very occasionally, um, I will miss a word. Often, if you know, sometimes if you get um, a character's been cut off halfway through their speaking, so they only say half a word, that doesn't work very well. And I have to rewind and listen to that. But I think it lends itself really well because it makes it really intense. (laughs) I think, in a way, that's kind of how I write because a lot of people say that my stuff is very pacey and very kind of like can't breathe. And a lot of people um, read it all in one go and stuff like that. So I guess I kind of write like I listen, like I sound in my head just slightly unhinged <laughs> let me take you back to something you said earlier on um panters and plotters pantsiers yeah pantsiers pantsiers and plotters the two types of writer so usually uh, and obviously like all rules they're made to be broken but usually you can divide most writers into one of two types either they're a pantsier which is they fly by the seat of their pants they sit down and they just write what do they tend to know so they know uh, well they, i think they kind of know maybe the character and maybe they've got like a scene or perhaps the, the initial kind of setup you know what i would call your your kind of um uh, incendiary moment your uh, thing that kicks off the action um, but then they kind of go from that. They don't know anything else. And your plotters who, to varying degrees, plot out kind of everything that uh, that 
you it's going to happen you know in in the plot itself the characters all the different characters all the different things and write it in a much more kind of formulated way in that sense and you on the venn diagram you kind of slot nicely in the middle you kind of veer from left to right i think i'm probably more aligned to plotting but that's partially reflected by the fact that i write books quite quickly so um i'm with avon they like a book to come out every six months which means that you kind of have two months to write the book which means that you need to know what's going to happen you can't wander around the houses and hope for kind of the muse to strike and see what throws up and then delete everything that you've written so far you need to be on the ground and, and kind of running before you go okay so i'm trying a new routine i should say at the moment um uh which is basically the same routine as i would normally do but four hours earlier <laughs> to try and um stop working into the evening naturally i tend to work into the evening and through the night so i'm trying really hard to kind of relearn um uh my own routine and bring it a lot more forward so i'm getting up at the moment at um kind of half six seven and i would do what i would normally do which is um i would get some breakfast and um and a glass of water and i would go immediately to my study and start writing i tend to write in kind of uh 90 minute chunks i actually time myself because then it's a trick isn't it like you you say i'll write for 90 minutes and then it's okay what generally tends to happen is by the time my alarm goes i just like switch it off and keep going you know because I'm in the mode then um and I try to write in total for about kind of three to four hours um with like a a short kind of 15 minute break somewhere to go to the loo and stuff like that try to pick up from where I left off the the day before um I don't tend to write linearly and again I think this fits in with the short time frame that I have so um if I sit down and I don't know immediately what happens after the last bit I've written but I do know what happens at another bit I just write that and then stitch it all together afterwards um (laughs) so I do that then I take a break um and I go and do either my physio um I have to do physio every day with my condition um and as part of that I do pilates or I do swimming so I go I'll go and do that then I come back um and I'll answer emails while I'm eating lunch um and do kind of more mundane other parts of kind of writing things that take up time you know you know all the emails all the articles all the blogs all of that kind of stuff if I'm having a good day I'll return in the early evening and do a bit more writing on on whatever project I'm doing and then at the moment I'm trying to stop at that point at about kind of eight o'clock and and switch off I was finding it really easy for the first week and then the second week I found it really difficult but I just found out yesterday that my pelvis was out and I hadn't realized my physio um, put it back in for me and that means my body will have been working twice as hard so it may just be I was tired from that so it, it might not have been anything to do with my writing anyway so I'm kind of actually that's good news that my pelvis was out so now I'm kind of like yay I can actually I can actually kind of uh, you know crack on and do more work We've got more from Angela Clark in a little bit where we'll find out what happened in her life that gave her the idea to write a social media murder story. Now remember, if you've got any questions at all that you want me to ask an author or any suggestions for an author maybe you want to hear interviewed or simply any other business at all, uh, you can always drop me an email over at writersroutine at gmail.com. You know, thinking about that, I always reckon a Gmail account makes me seem a bit of a pauper. You think so? It's kind of like I'm flirting with someone that I saw on the tube in the free copy of the Metro newspaper. Anyway, it's all we got right now, and that's the best way you can get in touch. Writersroutine at gmail.com, and there's no apostrophe on the writers, by the way. And also, you can follow the show on Twitter. It's at writerspod. Now, we'll talk about one of the more peculiar daily rituals from history next. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to The Writer's Routine. It's time for Distinguished Diaries. This is where we take a look at a wonderful but absolutely weird writer's routine from history. Today, it's Patricia Highsmith. Now, Patricia wrote books like Strangers on a Train, The Talented Mr Ripley, and she didn't write books because she enjoyed it. No, 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 far from it. She just had to do it. It was almost like she breathed words and had to get them down to live. It was like a compulsion. And she wrote daily, usually for a good few hours in the morning. On a very good day, she would get about 2,000 words down. And the way she got herself into the mood to write was pretty special. Get this. She would ease herself into the day and get her mind ready while still in bed with cigarettes, cup of coffee, a donut and a bowl of sugar to wash it all down. Now, because she didn't love writing either, she just needed to do it to live, uh, she would make her writing as disciplineless as possible, as freeform, to make it really enjoyable. Now, her dietary habits around her work were always pretty extraordinary as well. Uh, she routinely had a stiff drink before she wrote, not to get her energy up, the reverse, to slow it down because otherwise she would get too manic and write too furiously. She was also a fierce chain smoker as well. Apparently she only ever ate bacon, fried eggs and cereal too, and she ate that at pretty random, scatty times all day. Now, Patricia wasn't a real people person either, but she did love her animals, understandably cats, but rather, alternatively, snails. In her Suffolk garden, she had 300 snails as pets. And this, by the way, is a brilliant story. Nothing really about her specific writer routine, just more about her curious personality. She once arrived at a posh, swanky cocktail party with a massive handbag that inside had around 100 snails and a big bit of lettuce inside for them to chew on. 
They were like her dates for the night at the party. Then it gets better, right? When she moved to France, they wouldn't let her bring live snails into the country, so she had to smuggle them in. She would regularly go back to England, get some of her shelled pets, sneak them into her bra, and then travel back over the channel and get into France with them. She had to do this all the time. Well, that gives you a pretty keen insight into a wonderfully creative but weirdly curious writer. Distinguished Diaries will be back next week. And if you enjoyed that, by the way, I heartily recommend uh, getting a copy of Mason Curry's brilliant daily rituals book. Uh, It stemmed from a blog that he wrote, which was so successful and popular, he jotted it down into a book, which you can buy in all good bookstores. It's full of brilliant quirks and curiosities just like that. Right, let's get back to our guest on the writer's routine, the tremendously popular author of the Social Media Murders series, Angela Clark, is on the show, and in a sec, we'll hear what happened that gave her the inspiration to write the books. I tend to pre-plan as much as possible. When you're doing a series, it's much easier because you've got the characters in place, so you don't have to um, develop the characters. You know what they're going to do. What you have to work on is the plot because you're basically dropping the people that you already know into a, a series of scenarios and then kind of seeing what's happening. So when you're doing a series, it's much easier just to come up with the, the skeleton of the plot and then kind of drop them in and, and do it from there. Um and in terms of kind of breaking it down, I try to do about 2,000 words a day. My first draft tends to come in at about 45k. I'm, I, I'm kind of the person that comes in under and then stitches more together in my second draft and fills in kind of the blanks do you enjoy the process of drafting and editing um i like writing um it depends which bit of editing it is i enjoy the bit where it really starts to take shape as a book and you you kind of like oh actually i can still do this you know it it does look like it's it's supposed to and you kind of you know you've got rid of all the dross and it starts to kind of really crystallize that's really pleasing um by the time we get to kind of going through um the proof editing stages where you're kind of just going through pages and pages of kind of should this comma be here this is the wrong spelling of this this should have a capital letter I really don't care at that point like I hate it but I think that that's quite common with most writers so do you think you have any idiosyncrasies to the way you work that perhaps other writers don't I'm trying to think I'm like what things that you do as an author that you know will make you work more efficiently oh I could tell you about the music so when I first started to write I, I like a lot of people I can't write in silence but I can't write with um, songs with lyrics so I trained myself to write with classical music which is quite common um and i've gradually been able to introduce and only this show um lauren laverne's bbc six uh radio show um at three blobs on the volume i can listen to that when i'm writing but like nothing else why not four blobs on the volume because that's too much and it cuts in and um like for example i once had to go and complain to um some builders who were working over the road because they had their radio blasting and i just typed out the lyrics of girls want to have fun by Cindy Lumpur, which is like not ha- not not conduce that wasn't really fitting to the man walked on. skunkly through the hall and the phone rang in the middle of the night and my mother said what are you yeah. going to do with your life <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it was like. That's exactly what it was like. And um, now, if I hear classical music or Lauren Vers BBC Radio Six show, um, I tend to want to write. So it's kind of gone the other way. So it's kind of become a prompt in itself. So if I listen to classical music in the car, I'm like, I need to stop the car and write. <laughs> I must get to my keyboard. Where is it? <laughs> 
And you've kind of touched on this already, but talk to me more about the way the trilogy takes form. Was it planned to be so? No. Or did you enjoy (laughs) writing the first book so much and these characters kept popping into your mind? Well, I wrote the first book. I didn't even realise it was crime when I wrote Follow Me. I thought I was writing a great um, uh, book about the internet um, and about social media. And then I gave it to my agent and she was like, darling, there's a massive body count. It's crime. I was like, ooh, crime and social media. That sounds fun. Let's do that. Um, So it went out on submission and um, Avon very kindly bought it. And then they asked me if I would turn it into a series. So quickly, this is Follow Me. Yep. And I had never thought about turning it into a series. I hadn't even considered that. I tend to think in in concepts. I tend to think quite in plot lines anyway, in storylines, rather than kind of coming at things from character. So obviously, I understand that character is really important. You need to have really good good characters, you know, and I really love um, Naz and Freddy. I think that they're uh, quite different from a lot of the other people you might encounter uh, protagonists in kind of cra- in crime novels. Uh, only one of them is a cop. Both of them are quite young. They're both female. They're both 23, 24 by, the, by Watch Me and, 20, uh, and Trust Me. Um, Freddie is a wannabe journalist and really is very anti-establishment and doesn't like um, anything institutionalised and really struggles working alongside the uh, the police. So they're, they're kind of um, interesting in that sense. They're also very clearly millennials. So they're a particular generation with a particular set of kind of issues that affect them that I don't think we've seen um, before and part of that is obviously technology and social media and what happens in regards to that. How much of that is a, is a considered decision though for instance because they are both female because they're millennials have you sat there thinking what do we need what hasn't been done before? Well I think every writer like every good writer should do that because you want um, uh, kind of characters to be fresh and you want storylines to be fresh um, but I really just wanted to write kind of I didn't think I'd seen a lot of women that were like my friends so I wanted to kind of have those kind of characters in in a book. I think the preoccupations of the millennial generation I think is quite interesting um you know there's lots of issues that haven't been explored and then it just kind of runs with itself after that um but it is interesting because you know social media is basically kind of the biggest newest community that we have there's like 15 million twitter users in the uk it's something crazy like 44 million uh, facebook users in the uk um which is kind of 50 percent of the online kind of population so you've got the people were linked in ways that they never were before and people know other people that they would never have come across before and they're part of this community that just didn't exist 10 years ago and community is always uh, a really key thing I think in crime novels because communities come with their own kind of um, etiquette their own kind of social norms their own kind of rules and regulations even if they're not stated and they are closed um, to whoever is investigating them and I think that's why you often see kind of things that are set in schools or things that are set in religious communities etc because it, it throws up all of those things all of the unspoken rules the different ways of doing things the things that are subverted the things that are perhaps at odds with how things are done elsewhere if that makes sense tell me about the very first moment that you remember the first book yeah follow me creeping into your mind um, well, actually, it was when I was um, sick that I first um, started thinking about um, Follow Me when I couldn't work um, because I spent a lot of time on Twitter once I got well enough to hold a phone and look at it. Um, I mean, I- that's a terrible idea to start with. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it was, um, it, no, but it was great because it was where I was able to, I couldn't get out of my room. I couldn't get out of my house. So that became my social life. That became where I spent my time. You know, I'd find out other writers, other readers, other people who were interested in whatever it was that I was interested in and hang out. Other people who had my condition, which, you know, so it became like a support network. And that became my whole social life became online, you know, and it was a great kind of safe space. Uh, when I started to get better, I wrote a couple of articles, um, uh, one for The Guardian and one for the agenda that um, unfortunately meant that I was trolled um, and sent some quite nasty kind of rape threats and death threats and things like that and in a bid to kind of claim back what had been my safe space and had suddenly become a bit frightening I decided to do a little bit of sort of uh, amateur detective work on the people who'd sent me the messages so I started to look into like who they were and then I couldn't understand why they were trolling like what makes uh, there was one guy who had sent me a really nasty um, rape threat who like sat on the PTA of his six-year-old daughter's school and stuff like this and I was like like why why would you do that and I became quite fascinated about what happens that, that makes that kind of disconnect between the fact that so many people forget that there is a real life person on the other end of the internet that they're like screaming at or interacting with or whatever and so I kind of took it to the extreme I was like well what's the most kind of extreme thing what happens if there was a serial killer on Twitter tweeting clues about their next victim like what would everybody do would they like retweet it would they like follow them would they uh, you know would they start like like answering the clues Would they like do one of those petitions to get them taken down and you know all of this kind of stuff and I was like yeah they would totally do all of those things and so that's where the idea came from and then how much did you have to mine that idea and, and mine your own experience before you finally got it down and started writing it at your desk? Um, I started fairly straight off the bat. In the first scene that I wrote, um, I killed a, a troll, you which was quite troll. fun. I did, yeah. <laughs> I killed a troll. And, uh, and then on his computer, there are actual word-for-word reproductions of some of the messages that have been sent to me um and i always say that if anybody wants to claim their work as their own i'm happy for them to come forwards and i will acknowledge them um uh, but uh, yeah so i i guess it was kind of oh god terrible terrible almost therapeutic but it was so like delightful to write that kind of scene straight off the bat and then i just spent time with freddie because i was I wanted somebody to be like like one of my mates, like somebody I would go down the pub with. I wanted to write a character like that. So I just wrote that and it just kind of all went from there. Huge thank you then to Angela Clark for coming on the show. You can pick up her brand new book, Trust Me, right now. And I'll be honest, I've tried the audiobook at three times the speed thing and it's all a bit of blurry nonsense in my ears. Still, it works for her, and I'm pleased that she got massively into the spirit of the show, as does our guest next week, by the way. Yaroslav Kalfar is on. He's just started his writing career, and he'll tell us why he would stay up all night in frenzied, furious writing in America. And also, he was chosen by the Hay Festival as one of the 30 people that they think could change the world. So Yaroslav is a big deal. Uh, he's just published her, his first book. It's called The Spaceman of Bohemia it's dystopian it's sci-fi it's weird it's hilarious it's like a space buddy book and you can hear all about it next week on the writer's routine and that's it thank you very much for listening make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on itunes and remember you can always email uh, writer's routine at gmail.com no apostrophe we'll see you next week bye
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.